This morning, with God's help, we will um, do a little bit of a recap, and then we will uh, launch forward, I think, into the remaining verses of the 13th chapter. Revelation chapter 13. This morning, with God's help, chapter or verses 11 through 18. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs, so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword that has come to life. And has come to life. And it was given to him to make... It was given him to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, small and great, the rich and the poor, the free man and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. This is the word of the Lord, saints. May God add a blessing to the reading of it. Let us now pray that God would bless the preaching of his word. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please be with us now as we consider uh, these remaining verses of this 13th chapter. And Lord, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom to discern. Give us wisdom, Lord, to be warned. Give us wisdom to be aware. Give us wisdom to be prepared. Dear God, give us grace now to hear, to believe, and to obey. I decrease that you may increase. Be glorified in Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, brothers and sisters. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our study through the Apocalypse of John. Last week, with God's help, we considered the beast that arises from the sea. He is summoned by the dragon. This beast is described as having ten horns and seven heads. On his ten horns are ten diadems. Diadems are crowns. And on his seven heads are blasphemous names. I confess, I don't believe that I was very clear last week. Uh, In light of that, I also asked Brother Anthony to take last week's sermon down because I don't think it was very clear. Let's see if we can do better this week. The horns on the heads of the beast are meant to represent a type of military power. 
The horns are meant to represent a type of military power. The crowns are meant to represent a type of ruling power. Political. The beast, therefore, is symbolizing those who are in positions of ruling over nations and who have a type of authority to make war. The first first beast represents those who sit in positions, seats of political power, and who have authority to make war. They are those who sit in the seats of kings, those who sit in the seats of princes and emperors, presidents, governors, and the like, those who have a ruling authority. They are those who sit in political seats of power, those who have a type of imperial rule over nations, and who are able, with the push of a button, as it were, to make war. The first beast that arises from the sea represents ruling wicked powers. Not in one part of the world or over just one part of a country, but wicked rulers all over the world. Remember, it is one beast that arises from the sea. It's one beast, but has many heads. And on those many heads, yes, there are horns. And on those horns, there are crowns. And so when we think about this beast, we must not look to just one nation or to just one ruler. But we are to see that these rulers are all over the world. Wickedness is found over all over in nations all over the world who are specifically opposing Christ and his church. They are more than influenced by more than that. They are controlled by the dragon. The dragon, as we know, is the devil. They are his They don't have a special friendship. He manipulates the beast. The beast is happy to oblige to the commands of the dragon because the beast is also likewise wicked. The dragon, as you know, and as I've said, is the devil and Satan, Revelation calls him. He is one person with many names, but specifically two names. Devil, deceiver, and Satan, the the one who accuses. He is deceiver and accuser. He is the serpent of old. Revelation 12, 3, John sees that the dragon or the devil has, listen to this now, seven heads and ten horns. But the crowns are not on his horns. The crowns are actually on his heads. That is because Satan rules over the beast. The beast has the crowns on his horns. Satan has the crowns on his head. Satan is king of the wicked in a limited sense. That's important, Revelation 9. He rules over demons, but not in an absolute sense. Revelation 9 explains that authority has been given to him. Keys to the bottomless pit have been given to him. But authority is not inherently his. The bottomless pit, the keys to the bottomless pit are also not inherently his. They've been handed to him by God. Now listen to this. In order to fulfill the purposes of God. That being both judgment, yes, and redemption. We've talked about this before. The beast has crowns on his horns because Revelation 13.2 explains the dragon gives the beast his power. The dragon gives the beast his throne and great authority. The beast has a type of delegated authority that's been given to him. This is important. The dragon does not concede power to the beast. 
He delegates power to the beast. He doesn't say to the, to the beast, it's all yours, I don't want it. Rather, he delegates it to him. Satan, with the keys of Hades, Revelation 9, again, calls forth the beast from the abyss and authorizes his power, sending him as an empowered representative. As an empowered representative. When the beast acts, he acts wickedly because he is wicked. But he is ultimately acting on behalf of the one who has sent him. The beast arises from the sea. It's meant to symbolize that the beast arises from the the bottomless pit, from the abyss, from the place of the damned, the place for Satan and his angels. He arises from there. And this first beast is given the positions of power. The beast is the forebeast of Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 7. It's interesting that when one examines Daniel, Daniel's visions, especially in chapter 7, there are four beasts. And every single one of those beasts, they're predators. Every single one of them. And there's a type of, of escalation in the ferocity of these beasts. There is a lion with wings like an eagle. Both are predators. Then there is a bear, another pre- predator. And then there is a flying leopard, another predator. And then finally, there is one that is more ancient. One that can only be described in the manner of, as the dragons of old, of, of dragons of mythology. Uh, one brother asked... Are these dragons real? If you've ever seen certain um, mythological dragons. Is that what John is referring to? I think it's important that we don't miss the symbolism behind it. It may or may not be. But the symbolism is what we must focus on. Each of the beasts that are described are no doubt terrifying. But this final beast that Daniel sees is dreadfully terrifying. He's extremely strong. His teeth, large teeth, are like iron. And he crushes all other animals because of his size. He has ten horns. Are we speaking about maybe an ancient dinosaur? It's possible. Daniel sees that this beast will come, but, but that's not the point. The beast, Daniel sees that this beast will come in the future. John sees that the future was upon him. Daniel looked to the future and saw that there would come one who would be like this ferocious beast. John looks back and sees that beast is here now. John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, interprets Daniel's vision as not being something in the future, but being something that, as John wrote, was taking place right before his very eyes. Saints, we'll get to this in a moment, but you also should look around and you, like John, can say... That beast that John was speaking about, he is also, they are also before my very eyes. We learned that the beast is the Antichrist. Though the word be not present here, what John is describing is perfectly aligned with what Antichrist is and who Antichrist is. For John, the Roman Empire was the beast that arose out of the sea. For John... The Roman Empire was being controlled by Satan. The political tyranny of Rome that was working against Christ and his church, it was being steered by Satan. Rome, if you like, was working on Satan's behalf. The emperors who sat in the seat of Rome ruled on the behalf of the dragon. They reigned wickedly on behalf of the dragon. Rome and the emperors who sat in the seat of rulership, they were not um, unwilling agents of Satan. 
they, they weren't sitting there saying, I, I wish I wasn't here, but I can't control myself. They, they were wicked, and they were sitting there because of their wickedness. And Satan was utilizing their wickedness for his kingdom. When the rulers of Rome put forth decrees that were aimed at crushing Christ and the church, they acted out of their own simple desires to crush, crush Christ and his church. Rome's hatred for Christ and his church was its own. And yet, in another sense, it was a hatred fueled by Satan. Both things are happening. Nations like Egypt, led by Pharaoh, who sought to enslave and destroy Israel. They were the beasts working on behalf of, of Satan as his agent. Yet, their hatred was also their own. Those in that country who agreed with Pharaoh's opposition to Israel, they also were likewise agents of Satan, being used by Satan, and yet their hatred was also their own. When Israel began to journey into the Promised Land, they were opposed by Amalek, who fought Israel, who was trying to enter and, and pass to go into the Promised Land. Amalek was an agent of Satan. He, he was in line with the beast who arose out of the sea. When the Canaanites fought against Israel, they were agents of Satan. When the Philistines and the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks fought against and enslaved the people of God, they were acting as agents on behalf of Satan. And yet, their evil was their own. And there was a type of escalation happening here. As the promised seed who would come and crush the serpent, the serpent's head, would, would draw nearer and nearer to fulfillment, there is greater opposition until Daniel sees the Son of Man come and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men from every nation might serve the Son of Man. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. But Daniel sees in the future that John, what John sees in the present, that, that as the Son of Man comes and sets up his kingdom, the beast makes war against the Son of Man and his saints. And the beast also has people from every nation, from tongues and tribes. When Christ rose from the dead, he marked the end of days, the final hour. Dear saints, John, when he wrote, was writing in the final hour. We, today, we are living in the final hour. Christ can and will arrive at any moment. This is the final hour. During the time at which John lived, Rome epitomized the beast. The Roman Empire stood against Christ and his church. It possessed a certain power and authority. The Roman Empire ruled with a certain kind of, of evil wickedness. They took names, divine names, that only belonged to God. I hope that you see the, the, the symbolism being, being, uh, being symbolized by Rome. The horns, the army, uh, the diadems, the royal crowns, the blasphemous names. All of these described here in Revelation 13. And all of them were evidenced in the Roman Empire. They were an empire with a great army. A wicked leader at subsequent leaders who did not rule righteously, but who used their authority to persecute and oppose Christ and his church. The Roman Empire acted on behalf of Satan. It made official decrees that were aimed at persecuting Christ and his church. To be a Christian in the Roman Empire, which was where most Christians would be located at that time, came with heavy consequences. To be a Christian in the Roman Empire, where Christianity was at that time localized, it came with grave consequences. 
Christianity wasn't necessarily spread all over the world just yet. It was more localized. And so to be a Christian, again, was dangerous during this time. We've talked about this. Citizens were required to offer worship to Caesar, to give sacrifices to pagan gods. It was a part of the the regular function of their society. To offer worship to Caesar was beneficial because it had a trickle-down effect of prosperity. To show allegiance to Caesar meant that Caesar would be kind to your province, would be kind to your country. That he would offer uh, resources so that your country could could thrive and prosper. The goal was to, to prosper, even if that meant your worship was offered to a false god. That you would offer your worship to a false god if it meant that you could prosper. But for those who would not offer their worship to a false god, those who would not say that Caesar is Lord, they would suffer They would lose their jobs if they would not, as they are part of the trade guilds, those are like our modern day unions, they they would not offer pagan sacrifices. Then those who were in the union believed that their gods would not bless their work. And if the gods would not bless their work because you're the one who's not offering a sacrifice, then you need to go. And then you can't find a job, and you can't buy, and you can't sell, and no one will hire you because you're not willing to bow your knee to pagan gods. Sacrifices were not offered. You would be excluded. This created great hardship for those who refused to offer their their worship to pagan gods, who refused to say Caesar is Lord, but who proclaimed no Christ is Lord. This was a tactic used by the beast to do what? To isolate Christians, to more easily and and readily identify those who belong to Christ, so that they could persecute them. So they could eventually exterminate them. The beast led by Satan is seeking to hem Christians in. You, you've heard of that, I think, from, from Exodus chapter 14. When the Israelites, they were hemmed in by the sea and by the desert or by Pharaoh's army. They're hemmed in. It's what the beast wants to do to Christians. Hem them in. Expose them. Isolate them. And then attack them. Many of our brothers and sisters fled. Many of our brothers and sisters were imprisoned. Many of them were persecuted unto death. Even still today. Revelation 12, we learn that the dragon, because he has been thrown down, pursues the woman in order to persecute her unto death because his time is short. In Revelation 13, this is exactly what's taking place. The beast is being utilized by Satan. The beast, uh, Satan, uses those in high positions of authority to legislate laws that oppose Christ and His church. Uh, Saints, I could have done better last week, and I apologize in explaining all of this. The beast who sits in a seat of power, whether he be that of a king or queen or pope or president or supreme leader, legislates laws that are intended to oppose Christ and His church. It's not found in one country, but it's found in all countries throughout the world, even in this country. We are called to pray for our leaders, aren't we? That they, we know that they are there because God permits, yes, but that they would rule in in righteous manners. And here and throughout the world, leaders arise that have wicked agendas that are opposed to Christ and His church. We We need to see this as being demonic. We need to see this as being a work of Satan. This has been evident throughout the centuries since Christ inaugurated His kingdom by His resurrection. There is not enough time in the day, saints, for me to recount all of the seats of power 
that have been occupied by evil men and all of the edicts, all of the laws, all of the, the, the legislations that have gone forward to oppose Christ and His church. But behind every single one of those edicts that were wicked, every single one of those laws and legislations that were wicked, Satan's pen was the one that was guiding. Bringing those laws, those legislations, those edicts into power. Satan's hand was behind those. And it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an authority been given to him. Those who belong to the dragon, they support the beast. They are brood of vipers, children of the devil. They are as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And they have been given to Satan. Um, one of the brothers asked, did you want me to take the sermon? Did you want the sermon down because of the, the rant that you gave? I believe I call it a rant. That I gave on, on false prophets. No, I don't mind. I'll say it again. I don't mind that. It's that there's a distinction between the two beasts, which we'll get to in a moment. Those who belong to the beast are amazed by the beast. They are in awe of him, her. They cheer him, her on. They, they proclaim that they should be worshipped, that they should be followed, that whatever the beast says, we should go along with it. They will say things like, who is like the beast? Who was able to wage war against him? Every time that it seems like they've been thrown down, and they still rise. They cheer on the arrogant words of the beast. They applaud his blasphemies, her blasphemies. They join him, her, in their war against the tabernacle of God, the church of Christ. Again, they are people from every tribe and tongue and nation. They are those who dwell on the earth. They are the reprobate, those who belong to Satan. You remember the phrase, uh, those of the earth, is referring to the wicked. You will also notice the intentional contrast that John is making. Now listen to this, because I think this is the point. As John, as God sends, God the Father sends the Son, Jesus Christ, to defeat Satan, to redeem a people, to establish his kingdom, the devil sends his Antichrist to secure allegiance for his wicked kingdom. Watch this parody. Those who belong to Christ are as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Those who belong to Satan are likewise as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Christ has come to establish his kingdom, and all authority has been given to him. Satan sends the Antichrist with a false kingdom, one that has fallen, and proclaims that he has false authority. Christ appropriately accepts the names, the divine names of the I Am, Lord and God. The Antichrist inappropriately, blasphemy, uh, blasphemously, takes divine names that do not belong to him. See this contrast? Christ exalts the Father. The Antichrist exalts the dragon. Himself. And himself, I should say. Let's make the distinction. Christ takes a fatal wound. He truly died. He truly rose. And praise and glory truly belongs to him because of his victory over sin, death, and Satan. The Antichrist is fatally wounded. And yet appears to thrive, even though he has been defeated. Christ built his church. The Antichrist seeks to destroy the church. Christ's earthly ministry lasts three and a half years. The Antichrist will be allowed to oppose the, the church for a symbolic three and a half years, 42 months. Satan is seeking to make a mockery of Christ and his work. Satan is seek, seeking to make a mockery of the Trinity. Satan is, is seeking to mimic all that God has done through the work of redemption, through his own work of wickedness. The point is this. The devil will seek to persecute 
the church during this period of, of tribulation. And again, he will do so in a manner that mocks the person and work of Jesus Christ. All that he does through the arms of the government, through the arms of his false prophet, which we'll get to in a moment, is aimed at mocking and opposing Christ before his time is up. Imagine that. The insanity. That before he goes, before he is brought down, he will mock until he is finally defeated. For John, Rome was the epitome of the beast in his day. But as we discussed, nations after nations arise after Rome, leaving a legacy of mocking and opposing Christ and his church. Every nation whose leader takes legal aim at the church is antichrist and led by the devil. Every nation that takes legal aim at Christ and his church has the spirit of antichrist. When laws arise that make the preaching of the gospel illegal, antichrist is behind that. When laws arise that legalize abortion, antichrist is behind that. When laws arise that legalize gay marriage, antichrist is behind that. When we gather for worship, and we must uh, take great care to get to the place of worship safely, antichrist is behind that. When passing out Christian literature, evangelism, calling men to repent and to convert is illegal, antichrist is behind that. Dear saints, there is a call for us to be aware to be wise and to be prepared. This beast not only arises from the sea and only arises from the seat of government, but John sees that there is another beast and he arises this time from the earth. I have just two points and they'll be short this morning. I thank you for allowing me to, I pray, clear up some of the maybe um, confusion from last week. But John sees in Revelation 11, 13, 11, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, this time the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. The beast that arrives from the sea represents political tyranny that pursues the church in order to persecute her. And now a beast arises from the earth, and he is a false prophet who speaks on behalf of Christ, or who speaks on behalf of the beast, I should say. The first beast is of Daniel's vision, Daniel 7. The second beast is of Daniel's vision, Daniel chapter 8. The second beast comes with the authority of the first beast who empowered, who is empowered by the dragon. While authority is given to the first beast is exercised in the political realm, the authority of the second beast is exercised most often in the religious realm. Most often in the religious realm. I think it's important that I Again, clarify, I conflated these two beasts last week. I made them sound like it's all just one. They've worked together, but they are distinct. They are, they are um, collaborating together in their work against Christ and His church, but they are distinct. It's important that we use wisdom to see them. They are a part of the same dark kingdom. They exercise authority, but in different realms. The second beast is repeatedly called, called the false prophet. Revelation 16.13, Revelation 19.20, Revelation 20.10. You'll get those from me later. He is the false prophet. He is the antithesis, the opposite of the true prophet who leads people to worship the one true God. This false prophet leads the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. Now, follow this. 
the idea of the of worship up to the beast is not just is not just limited to religious gatherings though the false prophet is mostly seen in the religious setting but he's not limited to the religious setting although most often we will find him in the religious setting but this second beast includes all those who call all people to support the ideologies that are contrary to the will of God and then encourage worship to be directed to a place other than God. The point is that the second beast is an advocate of the first. He's sent by Satan. The false prophet speaks in support of the first beast. He calls earth dwellers, those who have been given to Satan, to worship the beast, to do what he says. It's a general call. Calls to all, but only those who belong to Satan will respond. That's important. My son last week came to me and said, uh, you said that everyone's going to bow down. What about us? If your faith is in Christ, you will not bow down. It's a general call, but all, only those who belong to Satan will, will respond to that call. Just as Christ, the sheep of Christ, know the voice of their shepherd, so those who belong to Satan will respond to their shepherd. Their wicked shepherd. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. But for those who follow the shepherd, or the shepherd who comes in sheep's clothing, who is really a ravenous wolf, they will follow him. Her. This second beast has two horns. Because he is a counterfeit. And that's important. Uh, the, the first beast is a a hideous dragon with all of these different heads. The second beast, he looks like a lamb who has two sweet horns. But those sweet horns are meant to, um, they're meant to, to mimic and also to be a counterfeit of the two witnesses, the counterfeit of the two lampstands, a counterfeit of the two olive trees. Those twos represent witnesses for Christ. This false prophet comes as a false witness. He is a false prophet. Uh, Christ has his apologists and Satan has his apologists. Christ has his evangelists and Satan has his evangelists. Those who call men, follow the beast, worship the beast. Last week I went on a bit of a rant, I would say, calling out certain names of false prophets. There's a long line, dear saints, of false prophets. Well, there is not enough time in the week month or even year to name all of those who have come in the name of Satan who are false prophets. I think it's vital for us not to be fixated just on the countless many or their particular names, but rather let us be aware of what Scripture teaches. Let us know truth for it, for ourselves. Let us be so familiar with truth that when um, that which is the opposite of truth presents itself, we can immediately recognize it as being false. Uh, what's the way to be able to discover or to know truth from error? No truth. If you know truth, you'll recognize error. The first and the second beast, they come in the spirit of Antichrist. The second beast presents himself outwardly as a lamb, but inwardly he is a ravenous wolf. The first beast is obviously terrifying. The second beast seems to be innocent like a lamb. In Matthew chapter 7, our Lord calls his people to discern wolves who come in sheep's clothing. The false prophet who has the spirit of Antichrist professes to present the or represent the truth, who appears harmless like a lamb. He's alluring. He's charismatic. 
He's charming. But his inner dragon is revealed when he speaks. What is revealed? Now, let's be careful about this. We don't want to see, he looks like a lamb, but he's so demonic in the, in the his voice sounds demonic. Like it's, not, it's not like that, no. When he speaks, he speaks heresy. When he speaks, he speaks the opposite of truth. That's why he speaks like a, like a dragon. He might even have a soothing voice. He might even have a, a, a pleasant voice that when you hear you say, I actually like the voice. It doesn't sound like a dragon to me, but the content is what we must focus on. What is he saying? Rather than leading people to worship God, he, she leads people to worship Satan, the beast. This is, this is what was taking place in the churches of Asia Minor, wasn't it? The false teachings of the, Nicolaita, the, the, the Nicolaitans in Ephesus were teaching a mixed Christianity of Christianity and paganism condemned by Christ but still leading people to it false teaching in uh, of Pergamum the false teaching of Balaam the false prophets who came in the spirit of Jezebel teaching people to fornicate it was in the church uh, Jesus said that, that they will rise up from among you they will find themselves we will find them in in and around us the Antichrist of Thyatira, false teachers who were polluting the church in Sardis, all were being approached by men and women who outwardly appeared to be lamb, but inwardly they desired to devour. <clears throat> it's difficult sometimes to see past a handsome or pretty smile, to see the devil behind it. It's difficult sometimes to look past a personality. It's a challenge to overlook a likable person, isn't it? To see the deception. Uh, we say, uh, he's so likable when he preaches. Saints, you should not want someone who when they preach, you say about them only, I, they're very likable. Preaching truth is not going to be likable all the time. If someone is only all, always likable and that's what draws you to them rather than truth, then, dear saints, be careful. Use wisdom. Be on guard. Do not allow yourself to be drawn in by someone just because they smile when they preach. We can think of automatically, can't we? Don't just think of that one person. There's plenty of them. Don't just allow yourself to say, I like the person, therefore I'm going to listen to them. Listen to saints. Sometimes the ones who are not likable are the ones you need to listen to because they're telling you the truth. We most often like the person because they're telling us what we want to hear, not what we necessarily need to hear. Don't follow your, your, don't say, I want him to be, don't say, I follow that elder, that elder, or whatever other person who might be an elder because I just like them. Are they telling you the truth? When it hurts, even though it hurts. Because it's from God's word and we know that we need to hear that. Oftentimes we believe, I can recognize them. They're wearing uh, finely tailored suits and jewelry. Saints, uh, there was, I spoke one time and said, be careful who are dressed nicely. And then when we left, a man said, hey, you're dressed nice. What about you? A suit is not always the outfit of a false prophet. What's coming out of their mouth? What are they saying? Many false prophets have come in jeans and a t-shirt. 
Many false prophets have come in rags and turbans. Don't be fooled. Use wisdom. What do they say? We're not simply to believe every word that comes out of their mouth because they have the title of pastor, the office of pastor either. Or doctor. Or professor. Or whatever title that may come before their name. We must be discerning. We must use wisdom. What are they saying? Is it from God's word? Or is it the opinions and thoughts of men that are leading men to worship men? The dragon begins, the deception begins, yes, Christ says, in the church. The first false prophet was Satan in the garden, the temple of God. And serpents and snakes have attempted to sneak into the church ever since. We must snuff them out. We must not be deceived. We must use wisdom. It's a place that Satan seeks to infiltrate so that he can pollute the truth. In Matthew 24, Jesus warns that many false prophets and false messiahs will arise from within the community of faith. As Christ relentlessly constructs his church the truth of the go- with the truth of the gospel, Satan relentlessly seeks to tear it down by polluting the truth. And he does so by the mouth of false prophets. We must use wisdom. We must be aware. The second beast is the so-called pastor who is not only questioning the deity of Christ, claiming Jesus never claimed to be God, but is also preaching another gospel, which is no gospel at all. This so-called pastor not only questions the reliability of the Scriptures, the inerrancy of the Scriptures, but also argues from the pulpit in support to support political policies that are contrary to faith delivered to the saints. Beware of the pastor who uses his pulpit to promote political laws and policies that are contrary to the Word of God. They will even attempt to reinterpret Scriptures, creating a doctrine of devils. They are not the true church. They are a synagogue of devils and satans. It's spirit of Antichrist. We must know what God has said and hold fast to that truth. We must use wisdom. As we learned last week, the doctrine of Antichrist, the, the doctrine of the false prophet, starts here by claiming Jesus is not Messiah. By claiming that Christ is not the Son of God equal with the Father. That claiming that Christ, uh, that the Father is not Father, and that Christ did not come in the flesh. It starts there. Interesting, in the early church, those were the first heresies. In the early church, how was one saved? And then these were the first heresies in the early church. And they've carried on. And as you said, brother, yesterday, they just take on a different mask. Or have put on a different mask, but it's the same heresy. Second beast calls all men to worship the first. They are those, the second beast, these false prophets, they are those who align their doctrine with the doctrine of men. The first beast calls men to worship the devil. And the second beast calls all men to worship the first who is worshiping the devil. <clears throat> the false prophet does not only appear in religious settings, though. The false prophet appears in school boards. He's a superintendent. She's a superintendent. He, she is a principal. He, she may be your student's teacher in elementary school, in junior highs, in high schools, in universities, who deny God as creator and promote false doctrines of image bearers, claiming that you actually have descended from fish and not from God who created you. They're teaching young boys and young girls that intimacy and reproduction are not confined within the covenant of marriage, 
but they are to be used freely without consequence. That babies, again, can be terminated if they're inconvenient for your life. That men are not the head of the home, but that actually women are the head of the home. And that women, you don't actually need a man if you, if you are married to him, that you can be independent. There's a term that is extremely popular today, but its idea is ancient. It's the term of the influencer. You've heard that before, especially if you're younger here, you've heard the term influencer. Younger people are aspiring today to be influencers. The idea has been exponentially multiplied because of social media. But how are now influencers who were at one time localized, because they've been around forever, are now universal. They can influence people all over the world through social media. But influence people to do what? Well, potentially purchase an item, to give support to a brand. Or they have followers who just follow their life and times. And in following their life and times, are being influenced by that person's life and times. Uh, wanting to their lives to mimic their lives. The one who's influencing them. The influencers, though, are essentially calling people, for lack of a better word, they are calling people to worship. The influencer is calling people, give support, promote, Look to, believe in an ideology. Now, there are those who are influencing to glorify God. They will point you to Christ. Praise God for that. And the same platform can be used by the devil to influence people to follow, to believe in, and to support the beast. Believe in this ideology. Support this political policy. Do what the beast says. It's a good idea. We, we, we've experienced this in some way, haven't we, recently? They, the ideologies, they, they begin as slogans. They turn into policies. And we think that they begin at the grass level, that they, they begin on the ground. They, they begin lower than the ground. They, they begin in hell. And the slogans have taken on different slogans throughout all of the centuries. Not just in our century. You're automatically thinking of, I know this slogan, and I know that slogan. Think about all the slogans throughout all the world. They've been slogans provided by the devil. Promote this policy. It's from the beast. Satan's hands are webbed throughout all of these. Someone may say, it's not that big of a deal. That's exactly what Satan wants us to think. It's the first deception from the false prophet, isn't it? You won't surely die. Dear saints, we must be wise. We must be aware of the tactics of the evil one. Ask, what are they influencing? Who are they calling us to worship? Ourselves? Those in power? Or Christ? It's amazing. You see someone, I don't have a social media, but if you see them, they, they have a title of what they are. Look out for the person who says they're, the title of what they are, they are an influencer. To what? Unto what? In order to draw men to themselves or to call men to follow God. 
verses 13 through 15, our minds should immediately, this is the fire being called down from heaven. Let's just read it. 13 through 15, 13 through 15. Uh, and it was given to him the breath of the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would be, uh, would even be caused to speak and, and, uh, cause many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Uh, oh, 13. Sorry. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast and telling, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of a sword and has come to life and was given to him. We should automatically think of Elijah and the false prophets on Mount Carmel. There is this duel between the false prophets of Elijah or the false prophets of Baal and Elijah. They're calling upon their God to come and consume a sacrifice. The false prophets of Baal are working themselves into a frenzy, calling upon their God, and their God is not answering because their God does not live. He is of nothing. Then Elijah calls upon the one true God, and God not only consumes fire, but Elijah even pours water out. God uh, consumes the water as well. But here in verse 13, the false prophets are said to, to be able to call down fire from heaven. What does this mean? The next word in verse 14 is deceives those who dwell. Meaning this, that the beast deceive, or succeeds in his deception. Let us not for one moment think that Satan has any power over you because it's over those who dwell on the earth. But also, let us be aware of this. The Lord Jesus Christ said that many false prophets will come and they will perform signs. But it's not by the power of God. It's by the power that they claim that Christ was performing signs, by the power of Beelzebub, by the power of Satan. Can someone perform a sign and it not be of God? The Lord Jesus says, yes. Well, if they performed a sign, does that mean that they are from God? How do you know that someone is from God? It's not just signs. It's what they say. If the false prophet is calling people to worship someone other than Christ, if the false, false prophet is calling people to worship them, to give them glory, uh, to support them in some kind of way, and yet they are teaching heresy, they are a false prophet in spite of whatever signs they may, perform, may be performing. The Lord Jesus said there are also, or Paul also said that there are lying signs. They look like signs. But they're a lying sign, and they come from one who is a liar. Let us beware. The point? Let us use wisdom, and let us beware. Secondly and finally, the mark of the beast. I'm sure that we're all waiting for this verse. 16 through 18. I'm not even going to read it. You know it. Much speculation has been um, made over these verses. I will not go into all of the various interpretations of these verses. But, but this. For Israel... They were to keep the law of God upon their head and upon their hand. It was to symbolize that God's word was to direct their thoughts and their actions. 
and those who belong to God because they are sealed by God would have their thoughts, therefore, and their actions, therefore, motivated by God. But for those who belong to the beast, there's a mark on their forehead and there's a mark on their hand, isn't there? Because their thoughts and actions are directed by the beast. The mark of the beast is devotion to the worship of the beast. It's the going along with. It's the supporting. It's the promoting of worship of worldly, godless ideologies, policies, laws, beliefs, and that oppose Christ. Those policies, those beliefs, those ideologies that are contrary to God, His Word, and His will, that are contrary to Christ and His church, those who support these things, they have the mark of the beast where... It's in their minds and they act upon them in their lives. They are marked by the beast. Now someone may say, uh, I know someone right now who is not walking with Christ right now. That's right now. Let's pray for them. Let's pray that, that God draw them out of their darkness. But this mark is not a physical mark. It's a spiritual mark. It's not a literal mark in the sense that you can see it. But it's a spiritual mark. It's not a computer chip, saints. It's not getting the vaccine and and the vaccine has a small chip in it that we didn't know. It's not that. As a matter of fact, um, a computer chip would would not have been helpful in John's day, would it have been? It's spiritual. The seal or name of a true believer is invisible, therefore spiritual. And so it is with the mark of the beast. It is spiritual and therefore it is invisible. But it's evidenced in thought and actions. In the early days, though, a certificate was given to those who offered a pinch of incense to the pagan gods. Because they had been obedient to the state, because they had offered this pinch of incense, offering worship to pagan gods... They were given a certificate saying that they they had done these things. Therefore, they could buy and sell. It could be possible that a day like that comes. But for now, the mark of the beast is those who have their thoughts and actions directed toward worshiping Satan and all of his desires. We must be wise. We must be discerning. Saints, John tells us to calculate the number of those who belong to the beast because they have a number. It's called 666. It's the number of the Antichrist. I told my wife, this is going to be the most straightforward explanation of this number that you'll ever hear. Man was made on the sixth day. Seven represents completeness. Therefore, 666 is meant to represent incompleteness of man or man's sin. The sinful incompleteness of man. Three times. The beast epitomizes imperfection while appearing to achieve divine perfection. 666 is simply this man giving glory to man and in the process mocking God. It is a mock of the Holy Trinity. And the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet attempt to mimic the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they will always fail. 
This was seen in the seven churches of Asia Minor that were representative of what the church Catholic should expect. Those who would not go along with Caesar would find it difficult to buy and sell, to find employment and to feed their families. But they would not take the mark of the beast because they did not love their lives that much. Remember that? They did not love their lives so much that they would seek to preserve their life. How would they be able to preserve their life? By bowing their knee to the beast. They did not love their lives so much that they would say, fine, I'll give in. If I don't give in, I'm going to starve. They're going to starve. I've got to feed my kids. God will understand. Instead, they don't love their lives that much that they're willing to give themselves over to the idolatry of pagan worship. Do you love your lives that much? Would you preserve your life in such a way that, that I've got to stock up? I've, I've got to make sure that I'm preserved. I've got to make sure that they are preserved so that they don't die. So let us bow our knee so that we can live. Do you see? Satan, he hems you in and then he forces you with a choice. Bow your knee or die. This is why we must not love our lives that much, saints. We must not think so highly of our lives that we can't lose it for the sake of Christ if it comes to that. We may not be experiencing that here. But that's not to say that our brothers and sisters elsewhere are not experiencing that. Convert or die. Bow your knee or die. Not yet reached our shores, has it? But it doesn't necessarily have to reach that point in order for us to experience persecution. You could be experiencing persecution in this. That because they've seen that you're a Christian on social media, the church that you go to, the church who, that preaches what we preach here, you're no longer welcome to work there. Maybe you're fired from your job. We've known of bakers, haven't we? Who, because they would not bake a cake for homosexuals, have lost their business licenses. There may come a time in this country when churches lose their tax exemption. It may not always be just in the case of face the sword and die. There are other methods of persecution. And what will we do? Okay, I'll give in. I'll acquiesce to the world that opposes Christ and His church. Don't be surprised when you're called a bigot. Don't be surprised when you're called intolerant. Don't be surprised when you're called unloving because you don't support the Antichrist. Don't be surprised when you, when you get ostracized because you're not going along with. Don't be surprised when you're out in public talking about Christ as we were yesterday at a restaurant and people give you weird looks. Don't be surprised when you're attacked physically and verbally. Now, this may not be the same for everyone, but it will be the normal experience for those who are sojourning to the land of promise, heavenly Jerusalem. Interesting, when we come to the 14th chapter, there is Christ. He's standing on Mount Zion. And you know who's standing with him? 144,000. 144,000 are standing with Christ. They are standing with Christ. They are you and me. And they have His name and the name of His Father written on their foreheads. From the 13th chapter of those who have this mark to the very next verse in chapter 14. 
Jesus is standing there victorious with 144. And we know that that 144,000 represents the whole church of all, church of all time. And they have the name of the Father and the name of the Son on their foreheads. And guess what they're doing? They're singing a new song. New song always means a song of victory. They are standing victorious with Christ. You might imagine this great army who is already victorious. Oh gosh. And if you can imagine the sound of an army that is as numerous as the sand on the seashore, a number that no man can count, shouting in victory, singing a song of victory with their victorious king. Dear saints, what what a scene that will be when our voices cannot be heard because they are, they are drowned out by the multitude of voices who are singing in unison victory of the king. Satan has no victory over you. It's why when we read Revelation, we should not just break it off into chapters and go, oh, that's pretty devastating. Keep reading. Keep reading. Be aware. If you're an unbeliever, turn to Christ. Turn away from the ideologies of this world. Turn away from those policies that seek to persecute Christ and His church that are anti-Christ, that are against God and His Word. Be wise. Use wisdom. Know truth. Recognize those who are false prophets. Look behind all of the things that are exterior that men are most likely drawn to. And be ready. Be ready at all times. Have your lamps filled with oil. Be ready and expecting your Savior to arrive. Call your children to repent. Call your children to believe in Christ. Call them to be prepared. Call them not to just come to church and sit there and not go and, and go through the motions and not actually think that this message is also for them. It's for everyone who has ears to hear. Be ready. Our Savior, our bridegroom comes at any moment. Let us not love the world so much that we say, hey, there was still more that I wanted to do here. There's still more that I wanted to accomplish. No, Lord, come quickly. Come quickly. Let us pray.